All right, Proverbs chapter 24, 27 through 32. And it reads, Prepare thy work without, and make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterwards build thine house. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was grown all over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, giving you the glory, honor, and praise once again for getting us through 2013. Not that it was a bad year, but we just praise you, Father, that you saw fit to enable us to still be alive and well in 2014. And right now we praise and thank you as we're in the first Sunday of the year that this is just be the foundation of a great and prosperous year, not just in terms of our finances, but in terms of our state of mind, of our spiritual health more than anything else, of our relationships with family members and friends, co-workers, in the pursuit of our academic pursuits and educational career goals, whatever we seek to accomplish this year, we praise and thank you that it would be fruitful. And at the end of this year, we will look back and state that this is the greatest year of our lives. We just praise and thank you, Father, for this, giving you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. As I was praying, I actually was thinking that, well, I really don't think this will be the greatest year of my life because really the greatest year of my life was meeting and, and marrying Pam, having my children. So it probably won't be as great as those years, but hey, we can still have the mindset that I'm going to get all I can get and be all I can be in God in the year 2014. Amen. Amen. So still having great anticipation. And last week, as we were looking at the year 2014, one of the things that I said is that at the end of 2013, uh, we should have all taken a, a personal inventory. What were the things that I accomplished in 2013 that I envisioned? What were the things that were left undone? What were the problems? Well, let me take a step back. What were the things that were undone? And what were the reasons why they were undone? Were they undone because of lack of faith? Were they undone because of a lack of diligence and commitment? Why did they not get completed? You know, was it due to setbacks? Was it due to problems arising? And if those problems are still present, were you able to wrap them up before the end of the year? Or are they still present? And if they're still present, how do you intend to resolve them? Because God would not want you to be continually set back and stumbling and blocked from your future. So, in other words, if you have a problem that carried over into 2014, don't just sit back and throw up the white flag and say, I surrender. No, you should be looking for the ways in which you could overcome that thing because God wants us to be in a process of, for, of continual motion and continual Progress, Amen. Accomplishment to accomplishment to accomplishment. And once again, it's not about monies. It's not about fame and fortune. God just wants us to be successful people in him. People that are a good vessel for righteousness. People that have impact everywhere we go. People should look at us and say, wow, look how God is blessing that individual. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's how we're talking about it. And as we looked at our personal inventory, I looked at spiritual goals. I looked at personal goals. I examined our accomplishments versus our setbacks. We looked at relationships. Uh, we examined finances. And then we also talked about our physical health. So uh, if you haven't taken the time to examine those things as we're starting out 2014, by all means, do so. And I'm not saying that this is the only thing you can examine. You may have some personal things I haven't even mentioned that you also have to consider, but we're just laying the foundation. So as we continue on this week, one of the things that we saw in our text scripture is it says, prepare thy work without. And that's where we're going to start today. Prepare thy work. The word prepare in our text scripture means to render something sure proper or prosperous. Once again, that word prepare means to render something sure. In other words, you're making it stable. And that may mean that it's either starting out in a stable form or it was unstable, but now you're bringing 
stability out of the instability. It also means to make it proper. Was it something that wasn't properly formulated, planned out, or the, the foundation of what you got involved with wasn't proper? Well, don't sit back and say, I'm going to remain in the chaos and all the nonsense and ungodliness. Find a way to make it proper or find yourself a way out of it. And then finally, it means to make something prosperous. And that's not always a financial thing. God wants us to prosper in terms of our mental health. You know, do you have a lot of anxiety in mind? One of your goals for 2014 made to be to be spiritually and emotionally fit. That's a form of godly prosperity. So whatever that definition is for your life, it's the appropriate definition. It doesn't have to be the same as I define it. Um, now, one of the things I also saw as I looked at the word prepare as it means to render sure, proper, or prosperous, is that this shows us that life doesn't just happen. At least it doesn't just happen to those who are truly wise. Life is not just a series of stumbling from one situation to the next. Instead, as you're embarking on various endeavors, completing goals, and even handling setbacks, you need to have a game plan. Amen? Don't sit here year after year after year just stumbling from one situation and saying, how do I get here? Get to the next situation. Why in the world am I boxed in? Only to trip into the third situation. I went from the frying pan into the fire. Don't allow your life to be a continual set of stumbling. Amen. If we, if we need it to be that way, God can make us a comedy movie. Amen. You could be in the next Pink Panther or, you know, one of those movies where you see a bumbling guy that just stumbles from situation to situation. God does not want you to live that way. He wants you to have a stable, fruitful life. That's why Jesus said in John 10, 10, amen, the thief cometh not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we see in the word of God that the word might is one of those conditionals words. It's up to you whether you will have life more abundantly. Jesus' intent is that you will be, once again, all you can be. You will prosper, prosper in every area of your life. But there's certain things that you have to commit to. You have to be diligent about. You have to be stable. You have to be mature. And if you refuse to do these things, you may find that your life remains in, unstable or chaotic. But at a certain point in your life, we got to get to the place where we're tired of that. Amen. And we get to the place where we say, I got to get some stability. I'm tired of my life being shipwrecked. I'm tired of my life being a roller coaster. I need stability in my life. Amen. Hallelujah. So the first scripture we're going to look at today outside of our text scripture is Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. Oh, thanks, Kyle. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provided her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little slumber, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now notice that. God is saying to the sluggard, in other words, the lazy person, the indolent person, the person that really hasn't committed themselves to anything, has no goals, you know, doesn't want to really push themselves to amount to anything in life. God calls that person a sluggard, and he says, instead of staying in that spiritual or emotional condition where you just sit around and watch life pass you by, instead, he said, you need to look at the end. And it's a shame that God will tell a grown man or woman the peak of his divine creation, the ones that he ordained to be the rulers of this earth, of all the plants, the animals, and all the life, as well as the planet itself, the same ones that he, he caused to, to govern this world, even over the forces of darkness, is a shame that God will come to us, who he has made in his likeness, and say, you need to look at an insect on how to get your life together. Wow. That's a sad thing. But unfortunately, it's a true thing. And you'll see sometimes that people 
do exactly that. They just sit back and people try to warn them and say, oh, you need to prepare for your future. You know, you, there's going to be layoffs in your job. What's the next opportunity? Or you're going to need this to remain in your place. Or you're going to need that. Or you need to work this situation out in your relationship. People give you warning after warning after warning. And then there's just certain people in life that nothing phases them. And they always sit back and like, yeah, okay, I hear you. Yeah, whatever. Then next you know they're in trouble and they've got a sense of desperation all of a sudden. Like, help, help me. I want to hear you. Why do you only want to hear when you're at the, the peak of desperation, the fires are blazing on every side, and now you want somebody's advice? Instead, you need to look in the future and say, here's the obstacles that could be on the horizon, and here's what I need to do to prevent those things from ever occurring. Unfortunately, once again... Everybody doesn't live with that mindset. And one of the things you'll see from time to time is that some people not only allow these situations to occur, but they selfishly look for somebody else to bail them out every time. Amen? <laughs> As if we don't have our own problems <laughs> to deal with at a high level. But yet, there's some people that are like that. Now, unfortunately, we see here that God says that if you're not a sluggard, uh, one of the things you need to do is to plan ahead for your goals. As I said earlier, when you encountered problems, did you retreat from your problems or did you remain diligent in pursuing the goals that God had for you as well as considering how to overcome, get around, destroy, go under, topple, crush all the things that are blocking your path? How do you review or, or perceive the problems on your path? If you look at them and say, well, that thing's always going to be there, and I can't defeat it. And I'm just going to duck and hide every time it comes. Then you don't have the mindset of a conqueror that God calls you to be. Instead, you have the mindset of a grasshopper or a coward if you're continually running away from the obstacles that are placed before you. Amen? As we see the examples from people cover to cover in the Bible, the ones that won were not the ones that retreated, recoiled, curled up. And said negative things. It was always the people that said, it is well. It's the people that we are well able to overcome this. It's the people that had a godly, upbeat, um, a righteous mindset of how God can enable them to overcome every obstacle that we're able to persevere and to walk in victory. So how did you handle the problems that you faced last year? And do you still plan to do the same thing this year? If you do... That's a sad thing, and that's an area in which you need to grow. Another thing, do you permit setbacks to make you apathetic about life so that the days just drift past with no successes? And here's the thing, even if you're going through good times, do you prepare in case something unexpected or something negative occurs? When I'm talking about apathetic about life, you know, if you're really being introspective, if you're being stable and solid and wise about life, you realize that when you're dealing with bad situations, you plan for how to overcome those things and come out on the other side in victory. When you're going through good times, you don't sit back and just, okay, I can relax now. You go into them day by day, even during times of peace, with the mindset that something could be on the horizon. Not that I fear it but I'm going to try to prepare myself in advance to overcome it if it rears this ugly head. And to have the mindset that I'll just go through every day of life without any kind of planning for things that could occur is really being unwise. And it puts you in a place where you can actually be overwhelmed or traumatized by the things that occur. So God wants us to be like the ant. You know, if you look at the ant, one of the things I found that was interesting They'll get certain things like seeds or plants, and they'll actually, in order to enable it to last longer without rotting in the ground, they'll actually bite the end off of something, store it, and then it'll enable them to go throughout the entire winter. I was like, wow. Ants make more disaster or calamity pre preparation than most people do. I mean, why do you think there's so many people during the storms that are running through the stores and freaking out and clearing out the shop right and the Home Depot and everywhere? It's because, unfortunately, a lot of us don't make preparations. And I'm not saying that my house is fortified all the time with things for a catastrophe. It's not. I mean, I could do some get more food stuff in my house. 
But I can tell you one thing. I got a generator in case we go out power for a long period of time. I have gas to power that thing <laughs> to fuel it if I need it. I have Brooklyn lanterns, flashlights, kerosene lamps. I have batteries. I mean, there's certain things I've had, especially after we've had a couple years of hurricanes, that I still keep on hand. And periodically, I'll add a few things here and there just in case I need it. So even though I'm not afraid of the future, I still make some preparation for the future. And it's not just the calamities. It's actually in terms of your pursuits of your, your career, your education, all these different things. Are you just drifting through and I'll just see what happens? Or do you take the time to say, okay, in pursuit of this career goal, here's the pros, here's the cons, here's some of the things that can impede my progress, here's some things that are going to out-out fight to prevent me from getting to them and make plans, even if they don't happen, just in case they happen. Amen? That's what the ant does. The ant plans ahead. And that's how God wants us to treat things. Um, next thing I'm going to look at is Habakkuk 2, 2 and 3. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Hallelujah. So we see here, God tells us that not only does he want us to vision some things in our head, but there's times where you actually need to document some of the ideas, some of the plans that you have on the horizon. Um, I haven't even written our next sermon, uh, the sermon for next week, if I finish this today. However, I have in my mind what it's going to be, and I've already taken some preliminary notes. I have the text scripture and certain things written out so that I'm ready to go with it before next week. And also, I have a, a couple of documents here and there. Actually, I probably got a dozen documents of different things the Lord has laid on my heart from time to time. And basically, while it's on my heart, sometimes I'll put it on my heart, but it's not time to preach it yet. So I have documents of different tentative sermons and outlines. And I have things of this would be good for this time. This would be here. And this is a good topic for that. But I won't actually share those until God said, okay, this is the time. But the fact is, I still make preparation in advance. And it's not just in terms of sermons here at church. It's also in terms of some of the things that I plan out for my life. I had somebody that talked to me, actually sent me an email yesterday. And... I asked him, what are your goals and what are your dreams? And he said, well, you know, I want to be married and I want to have a career in the Navy. So I'm going to reply later today and say, okay, that's great. But what after the Navy? You know, you can't just say I want to do a career in the Navy. Because this is not like it was when our, our, well, some people's grandparents were in the Navy. You get out and bam, you're home and that's it. No more working. Today's people getting out of the military are less than 50 years old, and they're going into their next career. My brother, my brother's best friend, they both um, retired from the military with honors over the last couple of years, and they are now in post-military careers. So that's the thing. It's good that we're doing things and pursuing things and even faithful to things right now, but we also need to say, what's the next phase? And plan for it accordingly. And, and as we are prone to do, a lot of times you have things in your head, come back a day later, a week later, a month later, and somebody would ask you, what are your plans for this or that, or what do you think about that? I know I thought of something a few months ago, but I can't quite, put, put, well, that's why you need to write it down. Stop quite putting my, stop quite not being able to put your finger on it and put it to the paper. Put it to the Word document. Put it to something. Map something out so you don't have the opportunity forget to forget it because a lot of times some of the best ideas when we're in a car or, or you know walking talking on the phone something hits you and you say oh i gotta write that down later you forget one of the things i do now i'll be driving in my car and sometimes the lord will drop something in my spirit it could be part of a, a sermon it could be part of um, a future sermon it could be something i just need to write or send to somebody what i've learned to do now is if i can't get to the place where i can write it i actually dictate it into my phone then I'll listen to it later, and I'll write it out. So there's ways, especially with technology, that you can keep track of your ideas, and you can plan things thoroughly 
so that you could prepare for the next phases. And not only prepare for next phases of your life, but also prepare to overcome some of the problems that you're currently dealing with. Amen? Don't go into situations and be blindsided. Think about the pros and cons, the ups and downs, the possible setbacks. And once again, you don't have to fear them, but you could be aware that this could occur and plan accordingly. Now, one of the things it also said from our text scripture was not only to prepare your work, but it said make it fit for yourself. In other words, make the environment or your plans suitable for yourself. Amen? Because two people can pursue similar things or maybe the exact same thing, but you may not take the same exact approach to do it. Perfect example uh, I got my, my degree in computer science, information system sciences, and there's different ways you could pursue the field. You could be more technical like myself where there's a lot of hardcore programming, and now I'm at the place where I do technical programming, but also have taken on management roles and I manage people. But there's another side of the IT industry where you never program. It's just purely business. You analyze stuff, you go to meetings, you talk about stuff that the company needs, but you never get into any programming whatsoever. You know, so it's less technical, you don't have all the mathematics and stuff like that. So it could be two people saying, I want a computer degree, but we could be worlds apart in terms of everything we do. Amen? So it's the same thing with your goals, your plans, the things that you have in mind for this year. You need to look at it and not say, I'm going to be a cookie a cookie-cutter representation of this final result. You need to look at it and say, okay, me and my friend, me and my colleagues in class, me and the people at the job might be together in the same environment, pursuing the same thing, but the way they do it or the way they achieve it or even the way they operate in it once they get it may not be exactly the same. So i got to look at it and how it's going to work for me and adapt it, be flexible, do whatever it takes to be successful in my pursuits. Another thing, too, is in terms of making things suitable for yourself, just because circumstances aren't perfect. I'm talking about if you're in a situation right now. Just because a situation or your circumstances aren't perfect doesn't mean that you should throw in the towel. If you're patient, flexible, diligent, <laughs> perceptive, motivated, a lot of times you can make your environment work for you. And this may not be an overnight snap the finger thing. You may have to do it for a while. Like right now, you know, there's 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 moments here and there, but for the most time, for the most part, my job right now, peaceful as can be. I went from, you know, uh, two years ago, where it's utter chaos pretty much every day, to things sometimes looking better, shooting down dramatically. Then the next day, things are going smooth. And then, ah, I hate this, throw it all out, start all over. I mean, it went from total chaos <laughs> to partial chaos <laughs> to now it's pretty much. And that's not to say that there aren't a few moments here and there of drama or, you know, I'm in a computer field and we have my main projects on a website. Sometimes a server comes down and doesn't have anything to do with me whatsoever. Still got to resolve it. So there's the moments where there's a spike of activity or drama or something like that. But for the most part, things are very level. But it's because I had the patience, the motivation, the diligence to stay in the fire a lot. See it through, even beyond the frustrations and times where I felt I'm out of here. I had to see it through before I got to the point where, ah, wow, kind of laid back now. <laughs> and I still get a lot done. I'm very pro productive. My boss at the Christmas parties, I mean, he was just went from being critical of many people in the team. The first thing he said at the Christmas party and the Thanksgiving party, she raised his glass. Thanks, thanks to Brian and Todd, you guys did what could not be done. I mean, that's where we've come in just two years. But I had to survive. A lot of times, survive. <laughs> Hanging on by the fingernail, survive. Two years of sometimes utter, total chaos. So my word to you today is, you may be in a situation that seems like it's driving you nuts. You're pulling your hair out. I can't take it anymore. But don't just throw in the towel. 
you know, come in every day and try to have a fresh mindset. Come in with the mindset that I'm going to succeed despite all the nonsense that is going on. You know, ask God, hey, is this the time because of chaos that you're going to move me on? And if so, give me the peace to endure until I move on and allow me to remain in the character of Christ as long as I remain here? Or God might be saying to you, I'm going to use you as somebody to turn it around, but you can't come in here fussing and fighting and, con and, con and all the conniptions like everybody else. You've got to carry yourself at a different standard, and based upon that standard, you'll be the one that I'll enable to change the atmosphere around. So it may not be suitable to you right now, but if you're in agreement with the Holy Spirit, that's the power of God. You mean to tell me God can't step in and adjust that atmosphere? If you work with him instead of against his principles. Amen. Romans 10. 10 through 13. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tri tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. So this is something that shows us to do, whether it's at work, family, group relationships, organizations, wherever you're going. God wants us, as part of the process of making situations, relationships, environments suitable for ourselves, to have the mindset, first of all, to be kindly affection for other people. And that's hard to do sometimes. But notice what he's saying here. Be kindly affection with brotherly love. That word brotherly is not sibling. That goes even further. It's talking about agape love. Where it's the God kind of love that despite what they're doing, I'm going to walk with tolerance, peace, and compassion for them despite themselves. So God wants us to have that kind of mindset as we interact with people. And it says here, in honor preferring one another. Sometimes you can't be worried about me, myself, and I, and me getting ahead. Sometimes you've got to say, I'll take the back seat. I'll take one for the team. Even though it hurts and I feel like I might be missing out on something, you know, in order to stay um, in the right mindset with God and to do what I feel he would want me to do, I have to take a step back even though I feel that I'm suffering to lose something. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt that even if you do that, God will bless you. We see here... Um, even though the environment may not be perfect, not being slothful in business. In other words, you give the business your job, your career 100%, even when they're not appreciating you, even when they're not treating you right, even when they're not paying you right. Amen? I, talked, I just talked about the fact of me going through um, you know, over two years now with a lot of frustrations, times I wanted to jump off the ship, times where, I mean, there's times I was losing sleep, like the amount of stress and everything associated with it, and... Uh, at the end of this year, um, this guy mad at my job. He's an operations manager. Um, they had an impromptu Thanksgiving celebration, <laughs> totally unannounced. They just called me up one day. They said, oh, it's Shauna's birthday, and we're taking her over Blue, uh, Blue 2.0 for lunch. And then, you know, when, um, when Ari heard about it, he decided, hey, Thanksgiving meal. Let's all get together. That's just how they work. It's like a family environment. So it works good. It works bad. That was a good one. So anyway, it was no weeks in advance notice. Like Christmas party, I knew two months in advance, even though they changed it due to the weather. But with this, it was literally, hey, you're available for the day. It's so-and-so's birthday. And they were going to do a little birthday thing. We decided Thanksgiving <laughs> celebration. So anyway, um, Matt contacts me. and He says, hey, um... Even if you can't make the lunch, can you either meet me there for a few minutes or meet me at the office because I need to talk to you? So I said, no, no. I said, I'll come over to the lunch. You know, so I come to the lunch, and at one point he comes over and says, hey, can I talk to you? He takes me to the side, hands me a bonus check, and then says, your salary just got increased by X dollars starting January 1st. I was like, so, but here's the thing. Like, I went through the, like, unappreciated, I'm out of here, I can't stand it, I can't take a moment, <laughs> all of that. And like I said, the environment was very chaotic, which is contrary to me, I'm a person of order and stability, and there's times I was fighting up against the grain, there was even times where I would say, well, I'm the person with the most software experience, <laughs> they almost mocked the education, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, you're an attorney, 
Like, your attorney, if you're going to court, would you let me step in and, and, and do your, your business with you available? Would you let me come in and act as an attorney for you? Why would you want to do software and you think you have more experience than me? I've been doing it for, yeah, yeah, two plus decades. We heard all that. So, <laughs> so that's kind of how it was. But I had to deal with all those different things. And then I gradually saw the environment changing. So now it's very suitable for me. Even, to, even outside the, the bonus and salary increase, it's very um, suitable. And even the part of sometimes not feeling appreciated and stuff like that, you know, after going through the process, then a great level of appreciation. And the, the verbal part was actually more than the monetary part. But I had to go through <laughs> the trenches before I got to that point. So I just want to encourage you, you know, do not be slothful in business. In other words, don't go in there, well, they didn't treat me right, they didn't appreciate me, they didn't promote me, they didn't pay me. I'm going in at 75%. And if I'm on a bad day, I'm going to give them 50%. No, you go in there 100% every day. Because the thing is, the one that's right over you or the ones that are at your side every day may not appreciate you, but you don't know who would be above them watching you that we might be about to promote you, cross position, up the ranks or whatever, and then they see you pulling back on the throttle, like, oh, they're not quite what I thought they were. Calling out all the time, coming in late. Man, they used to get this done in a day, and now it seems like it takes them three days. What's up with that? You never know who's watching. And that's why we see here it says, don't be slothful, be fervent in spirit. Fervent, in other words, fired up, energized, enthused, enthused about what you're doing. Don't go in there because everything's not perfect. Go in with the mindset, as we see here, of serving the Lord. I ain't working for you people. That sounds odd. No matter what job you're in, yes, they give you a paycheck. Yes, they got your social. Yes, they may give you a check or it might be direct deposited. But at the end of the day, they're just an intermediate. You're working for God. No matter what you're doing, you reporting to him. He is the boss up in the sky. They just happen to be the ones down here on earth. But God says, you're working for me. If you serve me, give me your best. So that even if they don't appreciate you and they don't promote you, I could be the one that promotes you. Amen? Whether I do it right where you're at or I move you on to something else. And I believe that's one of the things that a lot of Christians miss. Well, I ain't going all that. They ain't going out for me. All right, well, stay at your same job level, situation, pay grade for the rest of your life. But... As you plant stuff into the ground, you sow a seed. The seed produces after its own kind and brings back a harvest. Dag on it. I'm sharing some of the stuff the Lord gave me for next week. <laughs> it brings back after its own kind. I'm going to stop there. You tricked me. <laughs> I didn't want to share it that week. <laughs> I'm joking. But, um, we got to give our best. Amen? Don't, and don't allow... Here's the thing, too. Don't allow people around you to affect your flow. Why are you killing yourself? You're making us look bad. We'll look bad then. I worked at a company years ago. And that's a shame. I was, uh, I was in, my, in my college years, um, either 19 or young 20s. I used to go in there, and they had this, I had this one posi position at an inductive firm. You know, Nikki probably would know it, and Tony too. Right there on Ranco um, Beverly Rancocas. I worked there, and it was hot. They had these big fans, and even with them blowing full blast, it was just blowing hot air. So it was very hot in there, and um, we had breaks. Everybody run for the ice cream cup, cup um, truck or the can soda machine or something to try to cool yourself down. So anyway, I remember one time they had these devices. You had to wire all these different things because they made these big um, power units. All these buttons and things, and they had relays, and they had um, little uh, devices or compartments where they would, within, within it, when you see the whole thing, it's all these wires and things and there and that, but we built the different little sections of the components, bringing them all together, it would make this huge power unit, you know, for corporations and stuff. So anyway, I was working on one of these units and stuff, and... There's this one part when I started out, it was really, really hard. And the guy told me, yeah, you got to take this and kind of thread it through and get it over here and then hook that with this and all this stuff. And after a while, as I got to, to do it and stuff, I was like, well, wait a minute. 
if before I get to that point and have to do all that threading through, if I do this and solder that and do this, then I can take that, bam, pull it through like that. And I start doing it. So like on the average, people were doing like maybe five units a day. And I was starting off early, like three units, because I'm trying to learn how to do it. And that's, you know, I'm cranking out eight, 12. It came with me, man, you gotta stop that. These are people that have been working there for years. Man, you're messing us up. You're making us look bad. You gotta slow down. Go eat a sandwich or go sit in the corner. I, I was getting on their nerves because I was too productive. And that's an example of me working in a factory, but how many times in a factory, a school, an organization, a club, your job, school, People say, man, you got to stop doing that so much. You're making us look bad. We'll look bad. Because I'm trying to be the best I can. It's like the army. Be all that you can be. It ain't just an army. It's in every, everything that you do in life. You need to be the best you could be. And, you know, the people want to go uh, with the crowd. You be the one that marches to the beat of a different drummer. You succeed. Be the best. Be the cream of the crop. The top of the class. Go up the hill, amen, slay the dragon. Be the best at all you can be. Because the reality is, every part of my life, I don't know about yours, but every part of my life, I've gone against the crane. I remember um, in third grade, they tried to move me up to sixth grade because I was so far ahead academically. And in terms of that, I just started taking more advanced classes, and then they just gave me extra work because, you know, I was going to Broadway City. I was like, it wasn't a place of time to be Doogie Howser. I would just got my butt beat every day. You know, probably 50 pounds lighter and, and six inches shorter. So I didn't do it, but I did take more advanced stuff. But, but the fact is, there was, there was other times when they tried to put me in advanced classes. And I remember this one pivotal day. They called me and this, this guy named Wayne into the office. And we're sitting there like, like, why are we here? We didn't do anything wrong. So they call us in and the principal's there and his teacher's there and said, you, you two scored extremely high on mathematics and science and like, we want to put you in advanced classes so you know think about it and I was ready to answer no 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 think about it talk, talk to your parents about it so I was like okay I can make the final day and say yes I'm on board Wayne want to be with the crowd be cool tough you go yeah be cool with the rest of the brothers nope and I ain't going to even I ain't trying to brag but our career paths were extremely different in terms of what we did and the amount of money we made. And sometimes I think about it, it's like, what if he had said yes? Mm-hmm. Trying to be with the crowd, you know, trying to be tough. You know, oh, you want them, you know, book reading, talking like you white. Why you got to be with the crowd when God wants you to be your best? And there's nothing wrong with any occupation. I'm truly the mindset there's nothing wrong with any occupation, any career. But when you're in there because you're forced there as opposed to doing what you want to do, and when you're in that because of peer pressure and not doing what God placed inside you to have the capabilities to do, that's when you've done a disservice to yourself. Amen? So I truly believe that if you've got to walk it alone, walk it alone. Don't let anybody limit you or pressure you to not be what God has defined you to be. Amen? Hallelujah. And it really, I bet you... That's one of the number one things. You talk to people. You see people that are alcoholic, drug addicted. You look at Facebook posts and stuff like that. A lot of times you see people, um, their life, uh, it seems to be discouraged, stuff like that, because they knew there was something. They don't even know what it is, but there's something within them they knew they should have done that they didn't. Amen. And now they feel like they're trapped and they're stuck in a rut. And a lot of times it's because they yielded to various pressures to be with the in crowd. Colossians 3, 22-25 shares similar notes. Servants, obeying all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the, of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. So we see here once again, whether you're a servant or whether you're the boss, everything you do, do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it as a men please. In other words, don't just work hard when the, when the supervisor's around. And then as soon as he's out the room, okay, I get back to normal. <laughs> That's a shame. You should be pushing yourself all the time to be the best that you can be. 
Amen? That's not saying you've got to put yourself in a position where you're being taken advantage of. But once again, do your best unto them. Do your best and submit it to God and believe that God's going to reward you for all of your efforts later. All right. Now, next I want to look at is that you should establish your domain. Because we look at a text scripture, he talked about he went by, by the field of the slothful and he examined the house and how it was broken down. And in terms of his own life, it says that he prepared the work without and made it fit for himself in the field and afterwards build it, build a house. You know, once you say I'm going to prepare something and I'm on the track to do and pursue a goal, you need to establish something. You know, make the environment suitable for you for yourself and then establish a goal. And like I said before, you cannot achieve goals if you're continually floating around aimlessly. Switching from relationship to relationship, uh, city to city, church to church, job to job, you know, just jumping from place to place to place. You know, unless God has truly defined you, defined you, and and ordained that you have the ministry of the nomad, <laughs> you are called to have some form of stability at some form of your life, and you you have to strive to secure stability in your life. And one of the things I like to think is that you should refuse to get accustomed to chaos, a lack of goals. And a lack of product productivity in your life. You should not accept that. Other people may choose to accept that, but you should say, not for me. Why? Because I am the chosen child of the King of Heaven. He did not call me to be average or status quo, to go through life all dismal and defeated, you know, to, to be in situations where you're stuck and never can get out of the rut. You know, one of the things I uh, you know look at the movie Raising in the Sun. If you look at the, the, the son in that movie, one of the things that devastated him was really eating him up inside is that he was born during a time where, you know, especially certain races of men, there was only certain things you could do. There was a ceiling fixed over your head. And no matter how hard you tried to work and no matter what you tried to do, there were certain barriers that were there that you weren't going to get around. You know, I, th I think that's one of the reasons really, um, you know, my father suffered with alcoholism. I think that was one of the things. He was very functional. He worked every day. But I think there was something within him he said he wanted to do that he can never attain. And, you know, he worked, like I said, but he just, he, was, he would get up, drink at it like it was breakfast. I used to see him get out of bed in the morning before he go to work, grab the bottle, grab a fifth, or go to the corner, kind of like, do one of these. I was like, I know what you're doing. He was functional. But why does somebody do that? You think about it. Why does somebody do that? Is somebody really, for the most part, suicidal and want to eat away their liver or, you know, destroy themselves? Or is there something within them, this form of sadness, this void that makes them do that? And I, I believe that's because we have not defined what our purpose is and what God has for us. And we have not pursued our dreams. Because as you pursue your dreams and you see yourself getting... From stepping stone to stepping stone, I think there's a certain amount of fulfillment that keeps you in motion. Amen? You might hit a setback here and there. But if you're in the process and of the mindset that there's something before me that is attainable, even with the setbacks, as you go and you say, man, I started on January 1st and that thing was nowhere near fruition. But then when you get to March and say, well, I'm not there yet, but... Wow, look what I, I did so far. Something about that says, yeah, keep going. Just keep going. You know, I just reminded the sermon I did, One More Step, where I talked about my first black belt test and how I struggled with asthma at the time. And they had me get up at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning to run around paintworks, five miles. And I had a time requirement. I had to, be, had to do the five miles. I think it was like... Um, I think it was within 15 minutes. And it was freezing cold. And one of the triggers for my asthma was cold. So I'm praying. I'm not fearful. But I'm just like, wow, that's one of my triggers to set me off and start me wheezing. And the thing is, that's just part one of the day. I still got about eight hours of like board breaking and forms and sparring and all this stuff I had to do. So if I don't get through this first phase right, this could cripple me for the rest of the day. So I was praying about it, and I finally decided, 
keep myself motivated. I was going to wear um, a Walkman and play music, you know, some, some gospel music to edify me. And I was going to take a thermos. I was going to just run with it. And if I felt I started to wheeze, I was just going to open it up, stop for a second, take a hit of that, you know, hot hot chocolate or tea or whatever I put in there, and that would keep me going. And I just remember, I never liked jogging, and I said, I just don't like jogging. Play basketball, I don't mind running back and forth. Play tennis, I don't mind running back and forth. Baseball, but whatever. But just to jog, it doesn't appeal to me. And I don't knock anybody that does it. Jogging just doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I get no joy from it. So anyway, I'm running, and... Since I didn't like jogging, I didn't do a lot of five or ten mile runs to get myself prepared for that day. I basically just, you know, I can run one or two miles. Okay, cool. So day of is freezing. It's like probably the coldest day in February, which I was sitting there like, seriously, you got to pick February. You can't wait to March, February. So I got there. It's a horrible day. And I'm running, and I get like, like the first one and a half going on two laps, and I feel like, man. I started off too quick, and I messed up my pace, and now I'm starting to get tired. And I felt like I couldn't go on. And then I just remember just getting at my head, one more step, one more step. And the remainder for that, of that five miles, and the funny thing is, I, I, I came in second behind somebody that ran 10 miles a day. Not bad for somebody that hates jogging, running in the cold, that had a history of asthma, had concerns about that, but I was able to do that because I had the mindset that I see something on the horizon, I'm not going to quit, and i got to do whatever it takes to motivate, self-motivate myself to keep myself going. So that's what each one of us needs to do. Don't allow yourself to get accustomed to chaos. Don't sit back and have a lack of goals and productivity and say, this is my fate. No, push yourself, strive, and keep continuing. Proverbs 3, 30-35 Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the fraud is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Even if your environment isn't perfect, Actually, think about it. The perfect environment, does it even exist? If it does, it has to be rare. Because just think about the fact that you're interacting with people on a daily basis with different emotions and issues and stuff they're dealing with. So the perfect environment is probably the same thing as utopia, something that is truly never achieved. So given that, since your environment isn't perfect, that doesn't justify a mindset that you're going to be trapped in chaos. We see here that the secret of the Lord is with the righteous, and it says that he blesseth the habitation of the just. So the way in which you conduct yourself in that environment, if you're operating as a just person, it really doesn't matter what they're doing and all the chaos. If you continue to walk in a righteous fashion, God's word has to be true. It says he blesseth the habitation of the just. Amen. And then he says, he gives grace unto the lowly, those who humble themselves or are weak. And he, he allows glory to be inherited by the wise. So if we conduct ourselves the right way. Even if our environment and our domain aren't perfect, God can turn things around to make them habitable as well as prosper, prosperous and peaceful for you. I'm a living witness for what I told you earlier today. Amen. That God can turn around the habitat. habitat. <laughs> so he blesses the habitat of just people. He'll give you the grace to endure it. And he'll give you the authority to either change or adapt the environment surrounding you so it becomes suitable to you at some point. And one of the things he laid on my heart... As it relates to environment, some of the environments we've been in put up quite a stench. They're filthy, they're profane, they're corrupt, they're attitudinal, they're hostile, all these different environments. But we see here that God says he blesses the habitation of the just. 
You do what you're called to do, and God can bless it, and He can turn it around. You know, as we're talking about atmosphere, one thing the Lord laid on my heart is that saints have more faith in Febreze to change the filthy atmosphere than in the Holy Spirit inside of them to change the human environment surrounding them. <laughs> I will say that again. Saints have more faith in Febreze to change a filthy atmosphere than the Holy Spirit inside of them to change the human atmosphere surrounding them. You got more faith in a bottle of spray. Because you burn something on the stove, you got something that you didn't wash soon enough and it cakes up and starts to smell, you grab that Febreze, squirt, squirt, squirt. Ah, wow. Smell went away. Wow, that stuff's really good. But then we go on our jobs every day. Atmosphere stinks. People's attitudes stink. What can we do about this? Oh, nothing. It ain't going to never change. Oh, you got more faith in Febreze. <laughs> you can write this down for later. 1 Corinthians 10, 6-12. It talks about the examples that were given. Amen? Tells us not to be idolaters, not to eat, drink, and play, not to commit fornication, not to tempt Christ, not to murmur and complain and get yourself destroyed. And it talks about these things being examples that were written for our admonition, for us to be cautioned, you know. And then it finally tells us to uh, take heed lest we fall. And one of the reasons that I included this passage of scripture, once again, was 1 Corinthians 10, 6-12. Is that as we're looking at our environment and we're preparing for this year, we're trying to make it fruitful. One thing we have to realize is that bad stuff may have happened to you in the past, but you can learn from the good as well as the bad. Amen? Look at our text scripture. He said that he was, he said, it says to prepare your work without, make it fit for yourself or suitable, afterwards build a house. And then after the house is built, it says, oh, went by the field of the slothful, the lazy person, and by the vineyard of the man that had no understanding. Why did he go to that field? Not so he could figure out how to duplicate it, but so he could figure out how not to allow his own property to be such a mess. You can learn even from bad examples. Amen? So your circumstances may not be perfect right now, but you don't have to sit back and just roll over and just die. Oh, I can't take it. Oh, this is killing me. I can't stand another minute. No, take the time to analyze. What is it about this environment that makes it so wacky? What is it about this environment that I could possibly be a catalyst to change? And even if I cannot change this environment, no matter how much I pray, because for whatever reason, God is not going to use me to impact that place in this manner. If I move on to the next place... Lord, please don't allow it to come here. And if there's something in me that allowed it to be that way or caused it to be that way, examine me. You know, show me what's in me that allowed me to be a part of that. In other words, learn stuff from the situation, whether it's caused by you, whether it's caused by other people, whether it's caused by uh, the enemy himself causing mess. Learn something from your examples and realize that you can learn stuff from good things and people the same way you can learn from bad people and situations. Somebody actually prophesied that to me before. She looked at me at a prayer vigil on the National Day of Prayer up in Trenton. And she said, some learn as Elijah, some learn as Elisha and learn from Elijah. And some learn like David learned from Saul. Some people are going to learn how to do stuff. Other people are going to learn, I ain't going to ever do that. Either way, learn. Amen? One of the ways, and I don't have it perfect, one of the ways that you know, Pam and I have learned to manage the church, some things I've learned are from the stuff I've seen that was good. Some things I've learned is from the stuff that I've seen that was bad. That I was like, I will never, ever do that as a pastor. And I'm not perfect, but I at least try to learn. And even now, I'm trying to learn and do this better. Amen. So we can learn both from the good, both from the bad. Don't let your field be overgrown is my next point. Do not let your field be overgrown. First Corinthians 9, 
24 through 27 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Don't allow your field to be overgrown. Keep yourself, you know, diligent and motivated, energized, lean me, fighting machine. Don't just sit back and allow chaos and conniptions and failures and setbacks to rule your life in 2014. Don't allow the destiny and the harvest that God has for you to be full of weeds and to be contaminated and to be overgrown with um, weeds and tears and stuff like that that bring you to devastation at the end of this year. Make your year successful. Go out there and do some weeding, amen, if necessary, in your relationships, in your attitudes, in your goals, in your work environment, everything you're associated with. Don't just sit back and say, oh, last year was miserable. This year's going to be miserable too. No, work that field that God has assigned you to. And sometimes we need to work the field of our mind and our emotions as well. Amen. Because that can be polluted and overgrown with some stuff as well that needs to be pulled out. Some stuff you could pull it out. Some stuff you got to get the spade or the shovel and dig that out. Amen. We have some weeds in our front yard that I'll take a spade or something like that and kind of stab around and loosen the soil. And then I finally get it out. But we had cactus that started out small and it started overtaking our backyard. And every year it seemed like it was spreading further and further. So finally got to the part where I went out there with a shovel. And I was like, even if I got bare ground here, I could put grass seed next year. But this is the time I can't take it anymore. This stuff has to be dug up from the root. So I went out there with the shovel. And, you know, I started out. Then Kyle started out helping. And then Kyle finished off the rest. He actually did the bulk of it. But in order to resolve that problem and make it a permanent resolution, it got to the point that we had to get out the big guns, the shovels, the wheelbarrows, and the big plastic bags or the burlap bags. We can no longer just say, oh, I'll just deal a little bit here. I'll throw down some, um, some pesticide, some, some ground clear or some weed killer. I tried all that. It didn't work. And this stuff kept growing back bigger and bigger and spreading itself further. It started getting to places in my yard that the main cactus wasn't even at. The main cacti wasn't even at. I'm like, oh, y'all just tripping. Trying to take over this yard. So I was like, I was like, uh-uh, you and Claire Ward, now I'm taking my yard back. I'm going to dig this stuff up from the root. So that might be a word to some of you. Maybe you've just been weeding with a spade. And it's time for you to get out the shovels and dig deep and take that stuff out from the root. And don't do a little weed here and there. You might have to do some bulk digging and take out the thing at its source. Amen? Hallelujah. Don't allow your field to be overgrown. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God wants his purpose to prevail in your life in this year. Amen? So don't give up. You don't have the right to give up. You don't have the right to allow your life to be, you know, ripped apart and contaminated and have all this stuff coming in, um, impeding your progress. God has a plan for you. Amen. And as long as you allow your plans to align themselves with, with the Lord's will for your life, as we see here, it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So if you're going... Contrary to the purpose of God, you may not fulfill what you desire. But if your goals, your dreams, your visions aligns itself with the Lord, his word here says it is his purpose that prevails. So if you make them come into sync with each other, how can you possibly fail? Not just in 2014, but in any year. How can you possibly fail when you align your heart, your mind, your emotions, and your goals with the Lord? And finally, I'm going to share... One last passage of scripture that the Lord placed on my heart. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 2 through 11. And what he placed on my heart here is, make God your priority, or your first priority, and he'll open up heavenly blessings for you. Make God your priority, and he'll open heavenly blessings for you. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say... 
The time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have so much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. Ye drink, but ye have not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it to home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I call for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Look at what that's really saying. God's saying, I don't have a problem blessing you. But he said, you sat back, and you haven't committed to your responsibility to me. You haven't come to fellowship with me as you have, as you should have. You have not worked at the place I've assigned you to as you should have. You have not been fruitful to bless my house first. <laughs> and that's not just here. This is all over the place. I mean, you know what I mean? That's all over the place. And we wonder why America and the economy and stuff is as it is. But people have not committed themselves as they t- should to God first as well as God's house. And what does God say here? He says, you so much, you working hard, but you ain't bringing in a lot. Then he says, you eat, but you're still starving a little bit. You drink, but you're still a little thirsty. You got clothes on, but you still feel a little chilly. And he says, you earn wages, but as soon as the money comes in, it drops out a hole in your pocket. Why? Because you worried about all those other things out there and you put me as your last priority. Amen? You allowed the, the church to be a wreck. Your commitment to me has, has been slack. And, and what does he say here? You look for much, but the stuff you're looking for, it's going to come to little. And when you brought it home, even after you got it, he said, I blew on it. What does that mean? You went out and worked all that stuff. Killed yourself striving to get those things. Didn't worry about me in the least. Even when you got it, you brought it back. And you know what the Lord said he did? He scattered it. So all that work, God said, I just blew it. And scattered it. So you may have worked hard and brought it home, but you didn't get to keep it because I blew on it. Once again, why? Because you didn't put me first. Amen? Your commitment was not there. Your hunger was not there. Your diligence was not there. And he said, you're not diligent to me. You call yourself serving me. Because of that, I'm going to blow on your stuff. And I'm going to make sure you're always in a, in a state of some form of lack. Always in a state of lack. And it gets worse. He says, you know, if you allow this to continue, because you allow my house to be waste. It's not just the building. This, is a building, this place, for example, is a beautiful building. But some of the people that should be here and should be here every week are not. So they can chase this, chase that. They ain't going to be as fruitful as they can be. And God's going to continue to blow on their stuff because their butts are not either this house or some other house every Sunday like they need to be. Amen? And you can try to excuse it and justify it. Oh, I got this commitment. I got that commitment. Well, you know, what's the Lord's word say? Not to forsake the fellowshipping of his saints together. Where? In the house that you were called to every Sunday morning. Amen? That's what God wants. So if y'all want to be, um, I know y'all here, <laughs> but I'm putting the principle out there for everybody. The fact is, if you want to prosper in this year and every year going forward, God should be at the priority every week. Cameron, I always said, you basically got to kill us not to be in church every Sunday. 
And people find everything, and Satan has inspired so many people to give you 8 million thousand reasons why you won't be where you called to be on a Sunday morning. But then you wonder why I'm on my bank account. Every time I get a few dollars in, i got to pay for this and that. Because you have not put him first. Amen? And God himself is saying here, I'm blowing on it. And then he goes further and says, I call for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil. All the stuff you're pushing to try to get. I'm calling a drought on it. Until when? Until y'all get y'all acts together and your butt's right and you're doing what you're called to do as it relates to me. So the good thing is you're all here to hear this. <laughs> so that's the first good step. You're here. But that just shows us if you want to prosper in 2014, keep that your priority. Amen. But don't wonder why, if you're getting it and you're prospering, why others that should be having the same form of prosperity keep staying in the land of lack. Because they may not be doing the same thing. God wants the commitment in 2014. And it's not just a 2014 thing, it's an every year thing. Amen. So it's time for the excuses to end and people start focusing on what God desires. And it's a shame. You go out there. A lot of times people are like, oh, well, after I get this, yeah, I'll, I'll be more committed. You'll never get to that place. Because God's saying, here, I'm going to blow on that stuff. Go chase your first five million. The check came in. All right. Your house caught fire. Your car broke down. It's a continual chase that will never be fulfilled. Switch it around. Make him first. Guys, no problem bringing in all that stuff. Amen? Hallelujah. So we're going to close with that today. Amen? Hallelujah. And let's just give the Lord a hand clap. We can all rise. Thank you, Jesus.